after a Lions game. Coming at you live from Detroit. It's Matt here, joined by Kyle and Todd. How we doing, boys? Be doing a little better if we got the dub. Yeah, still feeling that loss a little bit from yesterday, but I'll get through it. Yeah, it's definitely a tough one. Um, Kyle and I were both in the building for it. First game back at Ford Field since COVID for me. So I was excited to be there. It was rocking in there. But Lions fall 1917 to the Ravens. A um, lot of controversy, I guess, with the end of this one. But um, record-setting field goal for Justin Tucker, 66 yards. Doinks off the upright and goes in as time expires. So just a huge kick from him. You know, there's some some tough calls at the end there uh, or no calls at some point with the refs. But also Lions let up a big uh, fourth and 19 that would have closed the game out right there so you know you can blame the rest all you want but it, it still hurts when you leave up a, a fourth and 19 from the 10 and they get a, a big enough conversion not only to get a first down but also to put themselves into field goal position so big kick there I mean this one was tough but um you know, the line tongue in there. They really, I mean, defensively, this was the best game of the year for them by far. To me, it's really not even close. They, they had a great game plan for Lamar, and they executed on it and held him in check fairly well for most of the game. So, um, you know, it's a tough one, but it, it, at least they stuck around and hung in there. But, man, these ones are even harder to swallow, I think. I, I'd almost rather get blown out than lose this way. It just feels like no matter what the lines, man, find a way to lose these close games like this. Yeah, I know. I feel that. It, you nailed it. Just that they always find a way to lose the close games and the tough ones that, you know, it feels like the whole game we we can pull it out and that we should be on top. But they just never can find a way to execute. And to be honest – I kind of felt like they exceeded expectations in this game regardless, even though they didn't come away with the W. You know, Lamar and the Ravens just went out and beat Kansas City uh, the week before. We were playing on a short week after playing in Green Bay last week on Monday night. So, overall, the team really exceeded expectations, but just really tough to, like, come away with moral victory when you really felt like you should have come away with the actual W. Yeah, they definitely uh, held their own there against the Ravens for most of the game, for sure, uh, which you like to see. Uh, I kind of said it uh, in the, in a text to, I don't know if it was the group or whatever, but this is definitely the most uh, Lions loss since uh, the 10-second runoff against the Falcons a couple years back. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's just tough when it feels like so improbable, you know, like I'm in there screaming my head off. They get two hits on Lamar to get him to fourth and 19. I mean, there's a lot of people, you know, kind of second guessing this third down or the fourth down rush three prevent type, type defense. But I think Dan Campbell said it best, you know, like that that's kind of standard procedure in that situation. It works most of the time. Um you know, if you Dan Campbell said after the game, if you would have told him that they would convert the first down and have to kick a 66 yarder to win the game, then he would say, you know, we'll take those odds every time. That's kind of what they're looking for. So it's hard to I mean, you know, you play revisionist history, you play, 
the the blame game after the fact but if it works and even if he's an inch short on that kick and it bounces the other way I mean we're having a completely different conversation so it's hard to kind of dwell on that kind of thing um, I was really impressed with the way the team came out it, it kind of really I think speaks to the resilience of this team because they've had a couple tough losses a lot, couple like emotional roller coaster type games and they still came out kind of you know super hot this game and executed on defense which really impressed me I think that's been you know the theme all year is like when is this defense going to step up and, and and see something that um looks formidable um but the pass rushers get in there they bottled up Lamar he did he was not passing well you know granted a couple drops from Marquise Brown helped with that but um I was really impressed with this defensive effort today or yesterday yeah, no, the defense looked real good, especially compared to uh, last week. I think the insertion of uh, Derek Barnes definitely helped. He looked good out there. It was definitely hit on a few tackles in the, in the area. And they definitely bottled Lamar up uh, way more than a lot of people thought they were going to. Yeah, the other guy that really stood out to me, not just Derek Barnes, was Julian Okwara. And he hadn't really gotten a whole lot of playing time up until this game. And there were a few times that he almost got home on Lamar and – uh, you know, really just dominated the offensive tackle completely just like beat him with speed rush. And he's got a whole lot of talent and I think he's going to be a double digit sack guy and a little bit of like a late bloomer, kind of like his brother was, you know, not having his first 10 sack season until he was like 25 or 26. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw the same type of uh, results out of Julian someday. He really impressed me and hopefully we continue to see him the rest of the season. Yeah, I think both Aquara brothers had big games. Romeo is a force. I mean, he he looks better than ever. I mean, they just gave him a big payday, and he just seems to keep getting better. So he's going to be one of those guys we lean on going forward, especially up front with this defense. Even Anzalone impressed me. I mean, he looked like a sieve the first couple of games, and this was easily easily his best game as a Lion. So I wonder, you know. Them getting Jamie Collins out of the lineup gave a spark and bringing Barnes in, but they looked faster and a little bit, you know, more in tune this week and maybe speak to coaching adjustments or whatever the case. But they definitely looked like to me, at least completely, you know, different than what the last couple of weeks we've seen. They it was more instinctual and maybe that's part of the game plan with trying to bottle up Lamar and you kind of know what you have with them. But um you know, to me, they, they really impressed me with the speed and, and the aggressiveness on defense. And, well, I mean, you know, it definitely it, wasn't the offense doing any favors. I mean, shut out at halftime, 10 nothing, And then, I mean, so hats off to the defense for holding to the Ravens to just 10 points and then held them to, what, three field goals in the second half? And, yeah. Uh, I mean, really kept, that, kept them in, in check the whole time. I mean, they got helped out by those uh, Marquise Brown drops that you alluded to. Uh, but still, defense uh, played way better than. Yeah, I mean, let's talk least. about it for a minute because the offense was just terrible in the first half. I mean, Jerry Goff couldn't get anything going. For as many injuries and as snake bitten as they've been on their that side, you really expected more out of the offense. Um, you know, I think we talked about it before the game that we expected maybe a big game out of Hawkinson. The Ravens had struggled to cover elite tight ends this year. And really in the last couple of years, that's always been kind of a, uh, a chink in their armor. And that defense is really talented. They play well. It's schemed up good, but they struggled against tight ends for whatever reason. And they really 
you know, um, granted, give it give credit to them. They had a great game plan for us because they bracketed, from what I could see, they bracketed Hawkinson the whole game. They had Patrick Queen and a safety over top of them. Basically, everybody went out. So they said, you know, golf, you're going to have to beat us somewhere else. They knew as well as most people do at this point with the Lions that they may, you know, be a little thin at receiver talent wise at the top. So they really said, you're going to have to beat us running or you're going to have to beat us throwing underneath to these other guys. And the the first half was just really slow. They they had some weird play calls, that little flea flicker that Swift was going to throw that they luckily somehow called that a forward pass. Um, it's more poor execution than anything, I think, but um, luckily they got away with one there. But just, just kind of slow play calling, just not really being able to connect on anything early and put themselves in a hole um, early, just kind of, which has been the story of the games this so far this year. Yeah, I think they really uh, just looked slow and just out of sorts in the uh, in the first half. Couldn't really get anything going. Couldn't get a first down to save their life. Uh, and then I think I think what really opened it up for them in the second half was when they started getting uh, DeAndre Swift kind of outside outside the numbers and really got him in space and got uh, got the ball moving that way. And uh, I think they were just kind of trying to do do too much basic basic up the middle shit uh, in the first half. Yeah, what really bugged me too about the offense was just, you know, for as decent as Goff has played this year, he looked really bad this game. And he just – he never threw out of pressure. He kept taking sacks, taking, taking bad hits that – you know, you don't necessarily need to like make a hero play every time, but you got to at least not take a 10, 12 yard sack. Um, that just like such stalls the drive so much and really just knocks your game plan out of the, you know, out of a whack. And that that really, you know, when you have a, a quarterback taking as much pressure as he was and not getting rid of it and taking those hits and taking those sacks, it really, really derails your game plan early. And uh, he just looked uncomfortable out there. Um, Sewell. Played well, you know, decent, but didn't have the best day. I think he had the lowest um, PFF grade, both run blocking and pass blocking on our team. Didn't didn't necessarily, you know, let up, get beat every time or anything like that, but wasn't his best game as a line compared to the first two. So just offensively, they were struggling. But I think you said it best, Todd, when they started handing it to Swift, who had a huge day. Um he was making stuff happen. He is a weapon that they need to keep using, and I know they may be ramping him up a little slower because of the groin injury, but I think um, we're at the point in the season now where he needs to be our lead back and get more touches because when he gets it and makes a cut or two, gets it in space, he can really do work. Um, that no touchdown near the end of the game where he basically was like 10 feet in the air and jumped to try to put the ball over the end zone or the goal line that they didn't call a touchdown. I don't know how they didn't call that a touchdown. Should have been a touchdown. Yeah, every sure. angle I saw in the stadium, I was like, that's a tutty for sure. But just that kind of, you can see what he can do with the ball in his hands with, with plays like that. So we want to see, I want to see him get way more touches going forward. Jamal Adam or Jamal Williams is a great, you know, spelling back and he's good, you know, goal line runner can really get you some yards and is a good, one-two punch, but I think we need to start um, really leading with Swift and see what he can do. I mean, I think right now the current the current um, I, I definitely think Swift needs a few more touches, but I think it's really smart what they've done, kind of easing him back in to the workload with him coming back from that groin injury. And my biggest concern with DeAndre Swift has always been his injury history. And hopefully, like I mean, it seems like he's healthy right now, and hopefully it can stay that way. He looked fucking awesome, and obviously. 
with that offensive line and like having Jamal Williams to compliment him, we really have something special for like the next couple of years uh, between those two backs in Detroit. So um, it was good to really see them move the ball against the Ravens in the second half because, yeah, that first half was disgusting. And you, you kind of nailed it, too, with uh, talking about golf holding onto the ball and not throwing out a sacks. I mean, I knew his awareness was bad out in, in L.A. and that he was notorious for holding on to the ball too long, but I never realized it was this bad. And especially with an offensive line like what we have, because even on plays that they sent pressure, we still he still had time to throw. It wasn't like anybody was ever untouched and like coming right at him. And there were a few times too, where there was some pressure coming off the edge and he should have stepped up and known that the pressure was coming and like, you know, delivered a throw, but instead he's just kind of hanging back there waiting for something to happen downfield. And I don't know, like if it's really the receivers and their inability to get open or what the deal is, because obviously we're extremely um, depleted there, but even so, it's it's just really frustrating to watch Jared Goff out there after having Stafford for the last 12 years or whatever it is. Yeah, I think the uh, uh, kind of what, so what Matt was saying about uh, taking the sacks, I think the uh, athleticism between the two really showed this week. Uh, he just really couldn't get away from the pressure at all. And uh, where, where uh, Stafford maybe could have got a couple first downs there, uh, Stafford or golf was, you know, sliding, you know, five yards short, four yards short. Yeah, I think he's like less prone to stand in the pocket and take the hit and deliver the throw, which we definitely took for granted with Stafford because that's one of his signature moves is to stand in there and take a hit and still deliver a good ball down the field. So, you know, it's it's tough. Um, I, I you know, I, I hate to like harp on golf too much because I do think he has some ability to like lead this team he's shown some flashes but I think he's just um you know he's he's a downgrade in talent from what we're used to and uh we just have to live with that and hopefully he can get better and continue to get more comfortable in this this scheme and in this offense but I do think too you know you can't put all the onus on him I think the the receiver's got to get open for him too. It's hard when you're, even if you have five seconds to throw or four seconds to throw, uh, you know, with, with no one open, you're going to stand back there and you hate to ask him to force things in there, but it, there's got to be a balance of not taking those sacks because those are just such drive killers. And then the, you know, the Ravens can sit back and um, they know you're going to pass and makes it so, that much harder to really convert anything. <laughs> I want to talk about Bobby Price for a minute, too, because he had, he had played some meaningful snaps this game. Um, he was an undrafted guy, came in and made the roster, and now with the injuries to Malafanu and uh, Okuda, he's playing some some big-time minutes, and he really impressed me yesterday. He was sticky in coverage, had a couple PBUs, really, I think, only let up one catch for five yards or something like that. Uh Granted, you know, Marquise Brown dropped a couple, which helped his his average there at the end. But I think he has some some really some talent and um, is going to be uh, a good piece to this defense for the rest of the year because they're so thin at corner right now. They're they're going to need all the help they can get. Yeah, I agree. He's and he's somebody who's an ultra athlete too. Uh, really good RAS score. I forget what it's like nine point nine four or something like that. And I think you might have said, too, that he was a safety convert coming to corner, which is pretty rare. Normally, it's the other way around, but he's got all the athletic tools. And really, you know, you could see that 
with a little bit of coaching and technique work, he could really put it all together and be a starting corner in this league. And really, him and Amani O yesterday looked like starting corners together out there on the field. And same with um, who's the other uh, undrafted free agent too? We got Price, Jerry Jacobs. And, no, there's Jacobs and one more. AJ Parker is the name of the other guy. He's oh yeah, AJ Parker. Yep. And he's been a dog too. I mean, the first three games, I remember seeing. Um, on pro football focus, he had like a 75 overall grade in coverage or something like that. Like one of the highest among rookie DBs. So, uh, you know, having some good pieces like that, like you said, is it's fun to see what we can build on. Yeah. And I mean, the schedule, like I said, it was tough here to start. I mean, it doesn't get super easy anywhere in the, in the year this year for the Lions, just the draw that they had, but, um, you know, they have a decent chance at maybe getting a couple wins here the next couple of weeks. The Bears look like they don't know what the hell is going on with them. Uh, Justin Fields got absolutely bodied uh, by the Browns this awesome. week. So he, I think, had like 40 yards. The Bears' total offense was less than 50 yards, and uh, Fields took like nine sacks. So this, I, you know... I don't want to get off the Ravens too much yet because we still have some stuff to talk about, but I'm really looking forward to this Bears game this week because I think this is going to be a huge one for the Lions and the opportunity is there for them to get in and um, and do something with it against a, a divisional rival. So the way the Bears looked this week, I don't, I don't know um, how they're even favored, but it's going to be a, a good test to see where, we're, where we really are and if we can maybe squeak out a win here. Shit, I'm happy the Bears are favored. <laughs> the Lions money yeah, line this week, maybe? Yeah, I was going to say, it makes the, the Lions money line just a little juicier. There you go. But I think it's like three and a half right now. It may move with, um, depending on who starts at quarterback for the Bears. But we'll get into that maybe later in the week. I just, uh, I think, you know, playing the schedule that we've played, like I said, all, all three of these teams are really like at the near the top of their divisions, near the top of the conferences, and could potentially, you know, be in the Super Bowl preseason. So uh, I like I like what we did. I like how we hung in there, um, but they just need a little bit more. And I think that the the thinness and the the lack of depth of talent at the, on the roster has kind of showed itself um, in these three games. But the way they're schemed up and the way that they're playing has kept them in it. Let's see what else with this game. I, I wanted to touch on this like halftime thing and a little bit of controversy this week too. Um, Kyle, you and I were both there, and Todd, I don't know how it sounded on TV, but that was maybe the loudest boo I've ever heard in my life um, when Sheila came on to introduce Calvin for his Hall of Fame. They're honoring honoring his Hall of Fame induction with a ring. Um, you know. I want to hear your guys' thoughts on it, too. But for me, I just really – I really hated the booing, honestly. I mean, you know, it's the first time Calvin's back in the building. And since he's retired, really, he's supposed to be getting honored. He he couldn't even really get a speech in because it was so loud. There was definitely a big pop for him when he was introduced. But as soon as Sheila came up there, it looked like Roger Roger Goodell at the draft. Um, But, you know, I just – I get the frustration. I get the – the reason fans are booing but i think at this point it's almost like i don't know if people even know why they're booing anymore right like none of this stuff had anything to do with sheila she wasn't a really a part of this team at all when the stuff with with calvin went down um 
she's done, I think, everything right since the time she's taken over. It hasn't even been a year yet. Um, so I just kind of, you know, it is what it is. I get it. But it also just felt kind of shitty to be there. And while Calvin's on the field, the, the loudest boo you ever heard. So it's just, I don't know. I'd like to hear what you guys think about it. Todd, I'll you go first. Um, yeah, I mean, when I was, I watched, uh, a little bit of the, uh, the ceremony, um, definitely was apparent, uh, but yeah, no, she really doesn't have anything to do with it, but I think from a fan standpoint, like you said, I feel like people don't even really know what they're booing for anymore. Like you're mad because the team's still bad. Are they booing because of the the contract dispute, uh, the money thing? Like what what was it really? You know what I mean? Like I guess is my question. Yeah, I mean I'm so sick of hearing like pay him. Like I agree, they should have paid him. They should have never took it in the first place. But also like they've tried to to make right on it they tried to pay him for like 20 hours of service of appearances and he said no and per like the cap rules they can't just pay him they've tried they won't let him they have to take it out of the cap it's like a a whole a whole penalty they would incur for paying him so we're kind of at the standstill where you know i hate to say it but he's being a little bit petty about it and if they would just come to some agreement it'd be fine but you know whatever it is what it is i get it like he felt slighted by him he probably should they should have never took it in the first place but that's what you get when you know rod wood who had no football knowledge took over and that was one of the first moves he made um but it's just you know it's like what are we even doing for here like we get it we all want to win but you can't you can't go from losing for 50 years to winning all the time right away so i feel like with the strides this team is making it's almost like feels like we shouldn't be booing and um you know i don't know it just felt like shitty to especially to be there and hear like such a loud boo when we have like one of the best players in franchise history on the field see to me the whole like booing the ford family is kind of like having like the parents show up to a like a kid's birthday party to pick the kids up like and that and and i guess what i mean by that is it's like i don't think anybody necessarily hates the ford family but you fucking boo them because like of what everything that comes with them like and that's kind of where fans are at and i think with the whole contract dispute you have people that are booing you have people that are mad obviously because they are always losing and you have people that are doing it just because, like, it's just been a thing for the last, like, 30 years because the team has sucked for so long. And it's always been the Ford family's fault. So, like, but I, I do completely agree with you guys. Like, they have made the right changes under Sheila. Um, and it, it did. I mean, obviously, it was kind of nice that she wasn't up there, like, getting frustrated. She kind of, like, laughed it off and, you know, continue to talk and, like, She's obviously got a lot of poison charisma, and that's at least comforting to see, you know, out of an owner. I think Jerry Jones probably would have just, like, fucking hung the mic up and just fucking walked away. But overall, I mean, I don't take too much, like, um, harm with it. I think it's just always going to be a thing until, like, we, we win a Super Bowl, and it's really just kind of the passion of the fan base as well. And this is pretty much the remaining team in Detroit to not win a championship. So, like, there's a lot of pressure that surrounds them and, you know, it comes with the ownership. But, I mean, obviously in a situation like that, you'd like to see Kelvin get a lot more respect and not have him be booed over 
the way he was, but we'll see. Yeah. I think maybe maybe next year when they when this uh you know when they have a shitload of cap space open up, they could do something where like they take some money out of the cap, like you were saying, like that has to happen if they were to pay him more. So you know we'll we'll see. It's it's gonna take time, but I mean he's obviously got a reason to gripe, and you know the team obviously has tried their best to make amends. So we'll we'll see how it plays out. But I, I do expect at some point for them to you know build that bridge back together. Yeah, I mean it's gonna be the same way it was with Barry. It sucks that that happened with both of them, and I fuck I really do get it. But to me, it's just like not the time and the place, right? Like Calvin should have had a speech like he really had no speech there you could barely hear him because of all the the commotion in the crowd and like I said I get it I understand but it just pisses me off I think like the I think the same old line thing is so fucking lame dude I really I'm so sick of hearing that same old line same like that shit is so lame to me if you really think like that and that's like your go-to phrase it's like the same way it's been forever that these people just want the lines to lose so they can be right more than they want them to win which hey I think you're a fucking loser if that's how you think, but it seems like that's how more and more it's like the Valenti type mindset. Like the more garbage shit you say is going to be right until it's not because the team has sucked. So it's like, it's just too easy. It's such a cop out. It's such a lame to me. It's just so fucking lame. I, I hate hearing it. It's so annoying. And it really, it just gives credence to, to make us like the butt of the joke nationally. That's what I hate even more. It's like, you're just giving these people all the ammo in the world to make, keep making fun of us, keep, keep giving us this like bullshit like you know the so it you know it, it it bugs me i think it's just fucking lame but it is what it is i i just don't know it's like well, even if we win a super bowl is sheila still gonna get booed at every appearance like i just feel like at this point these people don't even know why they're booing and there's nothing that's gonna change it until they sell the team and who knows like the my worst case scenario is that the team gets relocated like they sell and the team moves like that would be fucking heartbreaking to me so that's like i'm i'm all for the forge keeping the teams if it stays in the motown yeah i have a hard time seeing the team moving but i agree i mean the it's like the the old like crotchety you know uncle at thanksgiving that throwing around the same old lion shit like i mean if you if you watched that game yesterday and you felt like it was the same old lions then you know you really haven't been paying very close attention to them the last 30 years seeing you know the the trends of the ups and the downs that they've had and I mean this definitely is a completely different team it's just unfortunate that you know obviously there's going to be that cloud that hangs over the Ford family and and the people that want to you know stand under that cloud so uh you know I do hope obviously that with some winning it changes a little bit of the negative culture towards towards the team especially from a national perspective yeah, I mean, I, one last thing for me. I just think it's like it, the funniest part to me is that they're booing for losing for a team that no one wants to win, right? The same old lines people are the same people that are like, oh, we should just tank to get a good draft pick. So it's like you're booing because we're not winning, but you'd be booing if we were winning because the exactly. draft picks were. It's like decide what you fucking want, you know? That's yeah. my thing. It's like they're just never going to win. It's like the, these same old lines, they're just like poisoned by the, the Valenti mindset of like, I'm just going to be as negative as possible and I can never be wrong as long as they are bad. But as soon as they start winning, then it's going to be like, well, why are we winning? We're, it's going to be meaningless wins and then we're losing draft. Like, 
it's just it's so infuriating to me because these people just will never be happy no matter what. It's like go root for a different team, man. Yep, those are definitely the worst fans, and unfortunately, I do think the Lions have more than uh, the average fan base. Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard that mindset of like any other fan base. You know, it's not even like in the realm of possibility. It's just here, at least for me. So I don't know. That that's it for me. I I don't want to get onto it too much. I was hot after the game. I hate reading Twitter after games like this because people just say the dumbest shit. But it is what it is. We'll get there eventually. I think, like I said earlier, I think Dan Campbell is doing a hell of a job so far for all the, you know, knocks he takes in the national media for his personality. I think he's really starting to write this ship and if you think it's same old lines like you said you just haven't been paying attention todd any closing on that i know we kind of went for a few minutes on that oh uh, yeah no you're good uh no i think uh winning uh winning fixes all everybody's happy we're winning i don't think it necessarily needs a super bowl but uh He's just being competitive year in and year out. Yeah, and I mean, you know, they're 0-3, but the season's far from over. You never know what's going to happen in the NFL. So I hate to, like, punt on the season this early, and I think they got some of their harder games out of the way. They have a um, – you know, we could potentially be 3-3 three and three going into L.A., which L.A. looks like a wagon, but um, it's it's far from over, I think. Maybe that's a good transition. Let's. Uh, I think that really covers it for the Ravens game. For me, unless there's anything else you guys wanted to talk about, tough loss. Um, but, you know, I think a game that we maybe deserve to win and 99 times out of 100, it's just what can you do when it's a record-setting field goal, you know? Yeah. It's tough, um, to see. tough to see. It really is. It. I mean, and the fact that it bounced off. Yeah, I couldn't imagine seeing it live, but I was. Well, I was we were on. I think me and Kyle were on the same side, and we were on. I like we were on the far end from where they kicked it. I couldn't honestly when when it first happened. I couldn't believe they were lining up for it. I was like, they're really kicking. Like he was past the logo, and I was like, this that's yeah. got to be seventy yards, and it ended up you know sixty six. But I was like, God damn, I couldn't even believe they. Were, I thought they were gonna hit a hail mary. Like when I told Krista, we we're my fiance next to me. I was like, we just gotta fade a hail mary here, and we're fine. And no, they lined up for the kick, and I was like, well, I guess, you know, that's kind of what we want here. Like, it's so low probability of making this. And then the fact that it, like, hits the post and fucking – it could have easily – you know, when do you ever see it spinning backwards and bounce forward? Like, it just makes no sense. But, um, yeah, that's it's just a tough way to lose. And that you could feel the air come out of the building so fast after that. It was like, you know, couldn't get to the exit fast enough. Yeah, it was um, painful being there. It really was, man, because it was like such a like an emotional roller coaster there at the end of the game. Like the way they, you know, hit Lamar a couple times, the clocks rolling. Um, I guess one thing we should talk about before we switch is the the I the play calling at the end of the game. There, I was kind of um, I get the idea of you know when they come in to kick the field goal to to go up, um, but they really, I mean, the three runs up the middle was just disappointing to me um i want to see him at least take a shot there somewhere maybe third down like you get a first down there it's really over you get a touchdown it's definitely over so to see them just kind of i mean i get it the defense is playing good uh it's hard to 
not do that. And I think a lot of coaches would play that the same way. It's easy after the fact to kind of second guess it. But what do you guys think about that that situation? Just the three straight runs. They they ended up chewing a lot of time off the clock, and um, the Ravens had no no timeouts left, so it came down to 40 seconds, and they got them to fourth and 19. So you know it almost executed perfectly, but I would have liked to see him take at least one shot there. Yeah, I thought they were gonna you know, go for go for the touchdown there. I mean, they were already so close. Like you said, it'd be nice to see him take at least one shot at it. But I mean, maybe if we have Stafford, we do take that. Shot. I mean, maybe there's not that much, as much faith in Goff, you know, once the coaching staff could be a reason. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I definitely feel like they needed to take a shot there, and to what degree? I mean, I don't know. I, I think the bigger thing is like keep grinding the. Uh, time off the clock but you can still do that and like try and take a shot as well you know like it doesn't always have to end an incomplete pass like with the way they're running the ball and with the Ravens expecting them to continue to run the ball you could have easily run run a play action pass on it and done a rollout like bootleg pass to Hawkinson or something like that and I mean if you're not going to get it you're so close to the the fucking field goal anyhow that you can just take a sack. And if it's a seven-yard sack, it doesn't really do anything in terms of your field goal probability. I mean, what was that, like a 30-yard field goal that he had to hit to, to like, take the lead at that point? So, yeah, they definitely need to be a little bit more aggressive. But at the same time, I still think Anthony Lynn called a really good game. Um, I mean, if I were to give him a grade, I'd probably say, like, an A-minus overall. You know, there was a good mix of creativity and everything like that. So, it's it's – Tough to look in hindsight and say that, especially with the probability of, you know, what our chances were of winning at that point in time after we kicked the field goal. But you're right. I mean, definitely should have taken a shot in hindsight. Yeah, I mean, you can be results oriented all the time and be like, well, it didn't work, so we should have done this. So I I don't want to second guess it too much. And I understand. I mean, I think you see coaches do that. That's like standard procedure anywhere. But I just would I mean, even with the runs, like I want to see something a little bit more creative with instead of like, you know, a 10, a midline run right down the middle for what it looks like to be expected. No gain. Like they were just running that to run it. I want to see, you know, even like a a slant or something, um, a short, easy pass, a, uh, a flip out to Swift or something like those plays still keep the clock running. And I get it. Like the worst, worst case scenario, there's a turnover or some kind of tip ball or interception or a fump, you know, obviously that loses you the game right there for the most part. So I understand playing it a little conservative and they were leaning on the defense. I think they, that maybe more than anything, the offense was struggling and the way the defense was playing that they thought, Hey, We'll take the field goal, give them 40 seconds. And like I said, I mean, they got it to fourth and 19 from inside the 20. Um, one more play if Will Harris was in position there and, and knocks that ball down or that Sammy Watkins doesn't come up with it. We're taking a knee at the 10 and and we're, you know, in victory formation. So, you know, don't want to touch on it too much. I get it. But it just seems a little bit, um, I guess, counter to how aggressive Campbell and staff has been so far in the rest of the games. I would have thought the way he's for as many fourth downs as they went for this year and, and for as aggressive as they played, I would have thought they'd take at least a couple looks at it. Um, but hey, you know, it almost worked, right? I think it, it wasn't like egregiously bad or anything. Just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on that. Um, let's see here. 
I think that that really does cover it for the Ravens game. Just a tough one, but uh, I think there's a lot of a lot of good here too. So we'll see. Um, I guess before we move on, let's get into our first and ten dominators. Each of us have one for the game. A guy that dominated the game all around. I'm curious to see your guys' thoughts. Maybe not a, just a player, but a coach, a, a unit, something along those lines. So, Todd, let me start with you. Who was your dominator for this game? Um, I was uh, I was thinking of going with uh, Will Harris. Had a few tackles there. Uh, helped keep the uh, secondary in check. Uh, helps uh, had some at the towards the line line of scrimmage. Uh, led the team in tackles. Uh, and like we like we were saying that uh, secondary as a whole definitely improved. Uh, a big step forward for them as a whole. So. I like it. Give him some shot. I mean, he yeah, he missed that play in the fourth and nineteen, but he did have a, a really good game um, for for the rest of the of uh, the game. So I like it. Kyle, Kyle, what about you? Uh, so earlier in pod, I talked about Julian Obara, but I think his brother Romeo had the best game of anybody on the Lions yesterday. He played a hundred percent of the snaps on defense, and he was fucking bringing it. I mean, there were several times I was watching him just destroy the left or the, sorry, the right tackle on the Ravens. I'm not sure who that was, but I mean, just completely bull rushing him and making his day a living hell. Uh, he only had one sack on the day, but I mean, it, it was Lamar Jackson. So like one sack kind of counts as four. Um, so I was really impressed with Romeo and that contract that we signed him to looks better and better every game. Yeah, I agree. I think maybe one little thing he needs to work on is just finishing some of those tackles because I think he got his hands on Lamar a couple times, which granted is a tough guy to bring down. But um, yeah, I mean, Romeo is just getting better and better, like fine wine. And like you said, that contract, you know, you see sometimes around the league guys kind of rest on their laurels after signing a big ticket like that, especially with a rebuilding team. Maybe easy to kind of rest easy a little bit, but he's been bringing it. He's been making... um, making guys day tough all year. So I, uh, I'm with you there. I, I really think him and his brother together, I think are going to be really good going forward. And they're both going to be here um, for the foreseeable future. Um, I think mine, I got, I love giving it to the coaches, especially after we pick a couple players, I got to give it to my man, Aaron Glenn, man, for a first time um, D coordinator and uh, just on a new staff with how young this team is. He really brought it, I think, this week. And the game plan he schemed up against Lamar was, I think, one of these situations where we'll see other teams try to copy it because they were able to keep Lamar in check. Um, Didn't have his best game by any means. I don't have his exact stats pulled up, but just being there, you could tell. I mean, um, for as good as this rush game or the the Ravens running game has been over the last couple of years, averaging like over or around 200 yards per game. Um, they weren't even close to that this game. Uh, Lamar had that one big scamper of like 40-something yards in a scramble. But outside of that, they were really able to shut this run game down, um, force Lamar into a lot of tough spots. I think the Ravens were 1 for 10 on third down, which is huge. We've talked about that in the past, that this team really needs to get off the field on third down. And they were able to do that. So I got to give it to my man, Aaron Glenn, for um, putting the pieces together and, and really coming up with a defensive scheme that that was promising and almost got it done. 
All right, well, let's close the book on this game. I can't wait to get it behind us. That that was such a tough one to to lose, such an emo- emotional roller coaster. And I know there'll be some chatter about um, the you know the missed calls and whatever this week, but it is what it is. You know, still an L in the book, and we're we're on to Chicago. Um, I don't know if we're gonna do a full you know pregame here today, but I want to just get a little bit of a preview for Chicago. Um, we kind of talked about it earlier, the struggles they had this week against the Browns, who are a good team. But where do we, uh, where do you, how do you guys feel going into this week with after three weeks under the belt, Kyle? What do you think with uh, the way the Bears are looking? And it sounds like Matt Nagy might not have an office uh, by the end of the week. Honestly, I mean, I went into this week against the Ravens when I found out that they had five defensive linemen out and thought like, okay, this is our chance to win a game. But this week against the Bears, I really feel like this is our shot. And to say that we should be underdogs uh, going into this game is kind of crazy to me. But like I said earlier in the segment, I'll take it. But overall, this really is our game to win. And I think this was really like our first game on the schedule. I felt like we could win, you know, preseason when I looked at it. So if we can get this win here and, um, you know, the, the next two games after that, we got Cincinnati and Minnesota. Who knows what we could do? And I mean, there's no telling if, if we could even end up three and three by the end of that stretch. So if we can get a win here, it's going to be a good start in the right direction for us. Yeah, the line's already moving. I think it was opened at four, three and a half or four, and it's already down to three. Maybe that's with um, the news today that they're not sure who's going to start at quarterback. I think Khalil Mack left the game injured, and I'm not sure if he ever actually returned to that game. So his his status is kind of up in the air. So I think I might lock in this money line while it's, while it's still juicy because um, I think that's going to move down. This might even end up closer to a pick em by kickoff. What do you think, Todd? Definitely yeah, that's going to be a juicy uh, money line to sprinkle a little something on at least, make make game interesting for you, you know? Yeah, I mean, I was, I mean, you know, during the draft, I kind of, I liked Fields. I, I didn't know where he was going to end up or how high, and I was kind of bummed that he ended up in Chicago just because if he did end up be good, you know, we're going to have to play him a lot. But he did not look comfortable there. Uh, you know, granted, Clowney and, and Miles Garrett were getting after him. But he did not look good at all in that game. And for it's got to suck for him and for the fans because they've been yelling, we want Fields to start. They finally get the start, and he plays like that. So this the, this Bears team looks very uh, out of whack. And I think, you know, this is a ripe opportunity for the Lions to come in and play some of this winning ball that they've been playing that just hasn't necessarily equated to wins yet. All right. Well, if that's it, then – that's it for us here at first and den. Another another loss in the books. Record-setting field goal. You hate to see it. Uh, Ravens win nineteen seventeen, but uh, you know there's some hope. So don't give up yet.